Hello and welcome to MikeyPod. This is episode 211. Today is June 20th, 2016. My guest today is Joshua D. Fisher. He's the author of the book, Meet the Regulars, People of Brooklyn and the Places They Love. Super great interview, super fun to talk to. Yeah, stay tuned. For those of you who are just tuning in, MikeyPod is a weekly podcast. I interview creatives and uh, yeah, it's mostly creative, some activists. I talk about activism a bit and uh, play some great music. And next week, June 27th, here in New York City, will be the first ever live episode of this podcast. It's at the Crane Theater, and it's part of the Queerly Festival. And uh, yeah, you should come to it. There are artists performing, such as myself, Eve Beglarian, who's a new music composer. Uh, Duncan Flaster is a ukulele enthusiast. He'll be doing some of his uh, interesting takes on cover songs. We've got Will Shishmanian, was a singer-songwriter. We've got... Who'd I leave out? E, um, uh, uh, Vic. Victoria Libertori. She and I are creating a new piece just for this event. She's a performance artist. I'm a sound artist slash performance artist slash whatever that is that I do. And uh, it's going to be a really cool night. I mentioned Eve. Yeah, I said all the people. Uh, it's 20 bucks for tickets. Uh, since you're listening here, you know now, well, you're about to know that you can use the uh, coupon code MikeyPodFriend for a uh, $5 off your ticket. So go ahead, do it. Come to the show. It's going to be great. And uh, in a couple of weeks, you'll hear it here on this podcast. Do not let that stop you from coming to the show. It's going to be a special event. Uh, yeah, MikeyPod.com for information about the show. Uh, yeah, that's probably the best that I don't try to list all these uh, URLs. Uh, bit.ly slash MikeyPodLive is a... Uh, short version, uh, MikeyPod.com is probably easier. I'm talking too much. One of the things you hear on this show is music, and this show is no exception. Um, I'd like to play this track. What? That's a weird way to say it. I'd like to play this track for you from Lamolo. Uh, my pal Adrian is the drummer for this band. Um, they are touring right now. You should go see them. I think they're on the West Coast. Uh, this is from their album, The Kaleidoscope. It's called Open Air. Oh, mm-hmm. 
Joshua D. Fisher received his master's in journalism from cultural reporting and criticism. Ah, shit. (laughs) Let me try it again. I I received it from NYU in the cultural reporting and criticism program. Yeah, I was just reading poorly. No problem. (laughs) I always want to keep this in here. That's okay. Let's let's get casual. Let's get loose. Yeah. So that was the intro. Me going fuck or shit or whatever I said. Love it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you've written this great book, Meet the Regulars: People of Brooklyn and the Places They Love. Yes. Um, yeah. So it's great. It's beautiful. It's got. It's a uh, just to to tell my, tell my take on what it is. It's a book with pages and pictures, portraits of these folks, and interviews and some essays from you. And it's all about. Uh, People who are regulars at spots in Brooklyn, uh, and it, this started as um, a series of blog posts, right on Bedford and Bowery. Is that am I, did I follow that right? Yeah, you did. You did a good job of explaining what this book is. There's 41 interviews, and there's 123 full color photographs, and a handful of essays, and some beautiful illustrations and an illustrated map by a, a wonderful graphic um, novelist. But to get back to your question, yes, the series started on the blog Bedford and Bowery, which is a New York magazine partner. And Bedford and Bowery had reached out to me to see if I would like to contribute to their new blog, which particularly covered the neighborhoods of Williamsburg, Greenpoint, and Bushwick in Brooklyn, as well as a couple of neighborhoods in Manhattan. And I pitched them the idea of this series that I called The Regulars. And what I would do is I would just go to various bars and restaurants and shops and find out who the regulars are there and just sit down and have a human conversation with them, find out why they like the place, what they like about it, but also use that as a entryway into the person and who they are and what's going on in their lives so that I could get a larger snapshot, both literal and figurative, of the people that live in Brooklyn. And, you know, this was a place that, the reason why I was, I was approached by Bedford and Bowery was because I had been living in the same apartment in Greenpoint for 10 years at that point. And so they said, well, this guy probably knows the neighborhood and probably knows Williamsburg and Bushwick. And, you know, my feeling was, yeah, I've been living here for 10 years. Now it's been 13 years in the same apartment. And I started to see how much the neighborhood had changed, how much places had changed and places had closed and new places had opened. And I had changed. I'd grown up some. My friends had grown up some. A lot of them got married, moved elsewhere, got new careers. And I started to wonder, you know, who's still at these places that I used to hang out at and who's hanging out at these new places and what else is going on in Brooklyn and how can I tell their stories to a larger audience? Yeah. Uh, I, I like the way that the neighborhoods themselves sort of act as characters, you know, like the, the, and that, that's what the, the, the changes in the neighborhoods and the ideas of, I'm especially like, 
uh, tuned into the idea of being priced out of a neighborhood because just by chance have I found this like shady basement apartment in Kensington, Brooklyn, mm-hmm. uh, where I was almost, well, I'm priced out of the neighborhood. It's just that I happened to find this place. So, and having only lived in New York for nine years, I'm already experiencing like, wait, this is my place. So it's cool. I, I really appreciate the book in presenting the people and the places and the, the, the neighborhoods and, and how that, that it becomes a part of, you know, the story. I agree. And, and thank you. Y- you know, this is a phenomenon that's happening all over the country. It's happening in Brooklyn, of course, and it's happening um, just as hardcore, if not more so, in San Francisco and you know places like Austin and maybe you know Chicago. It, it's 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 gentrification, and we're all players in it in different ways. You know, there are the gentrifiers, there are the hipsters, there are the the long-term residents that have been there for decades. There's the new people that are moving, that have more money, that are moving from other neighborhoods and other areas and into places that they wouldn't have otherwise lived in. And there's all the new places that are then built to serve them. And this story in the neighborhoods, I agree with you, they, the neighborhoods become characters, of course, as well. And the characters as well, they're all sort of playing in this larger story about this rapid change that's occurring in cities all over the United States and in particular in Brooklyn. And, you know, I I have a whole essay about the gentrification thing. And I also take care to um, restate a lot of the quotes that pop up from the various interviews about gentrification into that essay. The point that I'm making here, though, is that gentrification and this struggle and the force that it plays in everyone's lives in all these neighborhoods came up in nearly every single interview. So again, the neighborhood and the changing neighborhood are hidden characters that play a very uh, powerful role in everybody's story. Yeah. I, I, I'm kind of flipping through the book right now. There's a spot in here somewhere where it must be at the back where, uh, and um, you wrote the book, so I'm sure you can just tell me, uh, the places, like the list, the map and the places, and there are several of them that are closed, like Spike Hill and uh, Spitty? Splitty. Yes. Splitty, yeah. Two of the places that are featured in the book closed in the time that I was doing interviews to the time that the book became published and released to the world. One was Spike Hill, which was on Bedford, in Williamsburg and right by the, the L train stop. And that was actually, to me, that was actually a newer place. Cause I, I, I moved here in 2003 uh, around, around here near nearby Williamsburg. And I was sort of thought of Spike Hill as, as a newer place, but it really had been around for several years. And I interviewed the actor, Kevin Corrigan there. You may know him from, he's currently on dice on Showtime. He's the co-star he is a really familiar face. You, once you see him, you would remember him from The Departed, Martin Scorsese, or from Pineapple Express, that hilarious movie with James Franco and Seth Rogen. Yeah. Um, so he, he, that was a beloved place to him, and it was a place where he would like to collect himself and his, his thoughts before he would do uh, a live show that he did, did in the neighborhood. It was an Irish pub. And, uh, yeah, it, it, they could no longer afford the rent, and... Uh, they lost their lease, and now that space is a recruiting office for new clients to the very upscale gym Equinox, which they have built further south 
from there. But the positioning is, I would think, is very strategic for the gym because they can capture the attention of people who are coming right off of the L train and, and, and see that and usher people in and say, hey, join our gym. Splitty is a place that was in Clinton Hill where Jad Abumrad, the MacArthur genius and host of Radiolab on WNYC and public radio, that's where he used to hang out and he would hang and he would also have meetings with his, his staff there. And it's, it was, it was actually kind of heartbreaking to hear that that place had closed because he, he talked about that place and, and he talked about all the particular memories that he had in that place. And he could, he could point out a particular booth and say, you know, the first time that he came in there, he was with his wife and, the time that one of his best producers said they were leaving and moving to San Francisco, they told him right there. And mm-hmm. uh, he spent a lot of time even alone just thinking in, in, that, in that spot. So it's sad to see that one go. One other last quick story is uh, I interviewed Ayanna Prescott, who is the founder of Our Brooklyn Social, a blog out of Brooklyn. And she is born and raised in Crown Heights and lives in the, on the same block that she was raised and her whole family lives on that block as well you know, mom and dad, aunts and uncle, grandparents. And and I interviewed her at a a hair salon called Soraya's Hair Salon, and it's a great interview. But the backstory is that originally we were going to meet at a Caribbean restaurant that that was beloved to her. But the day of our interview, we learned that they had been priced out and they had to close shop. And so Mm. we had to find a different place. Wow, it's such a trip. I I don't want to get too... New York City centric because people listen to this from everywhere, but I will for a second. The L train closing down for I, I don't know how long it's going to be. Do you know? You know they're they're still figuring that out and they're still having meetings about it, but it looks like it's going to be a significant period, and and it's it's notable because it's a main artery between Brooklyn and Manhattan, and a main artery in particular to a very gentrified and now moneyed part of Brooklyn to Manhattan. Yeah, so I wonder what effect that'll have on the neighborhood. Like, can it uh, ungentrify? I don't know if it will ungentrify or degentrify the neighborhood so much as businesses will probably take a hit and people who chose to live there rather than Manhattan may rethink their decisions to have moved there because most likely they need to be in Manhattan for their jobs. So we, there, there will definitely be some sort of an effect. It's, it's kind of yeah. like if, uh, I don't know, if a major highway um, connecting a, you know, a cool neighborhood to the downtown business district was being closed down in, in any given city in, in the States, you know, you can imagine wherever you are, if you're listening in San Francisco right now, you can imagine um, what an effect that would have on, on all parties. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to San Francisco, I guess. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, back to the book. Uh, yes, was there, was there book. a favorite, favorite interview or interviews, if you want to name a couple? Yeah. Okay. Thank you for making it easier because I don't want to make anybody feel uh left out if i if i say that one is a favorite while another one is not um you know the very last interview in the book was a particularly special one for me it's with a comic named simeon goodson and it's at an establishment called two steps down and that's in an area 
uh, neighborhood called Fort Greene or Clinton Hill, depending on who you ask, because it's right on the border. And the reason why that one was so special is because it's been around for decades. It's only open on Friday nights. You wouldn't really know that it was a place unless you knew it was there because you have to walk upstairs to get to it. And it's something of a private club. You don't have to have a membership card or anything like that. And the door is open to anybody in the public. However, first, you have to know about it. Second, you have to know when it's open. And third, basically, everybody in there has one degree of separation from another. You really, have, you really wouldn't go in there on your own. You would go there if somebody was taking you there. And this comic, Simeon Goodson, who is born and raised in, in Brooklyn, he brought me there and he introduced me to everybody there. And everybody knows him because he basically grew up there. It's a place where he had his first job, where his mom insisted that he get a job and get off the streets and stop playing video games and selling, selling uh, some drugs, I believe he told me. <laughs> during the, the <laughs> nice. Um, and, and the two, two women who own the place are his, his aunties, you know, his honorary aunties, and they would look after him. It was a really special place. And it's also a very interesting place for me because... And a, and, a, and a favorite interview because it was also a world that I don't frequent. It's it's nearly entirely black, nearly entirely African American, and I'm I'm a white Jewish dude who you know goes to a variety of different places. But it's not often that I ever find myself as the single white person in a given establishment. And not only that, it's it's a place where older African Americans also congregate. Ones that. Um, are involved in the in politics. The, a lot of politicians. This place where where they can you know let their hair down and turn up and have a good time and sing some karaoke. And so it just felt really special. And it felt like I was um, admitted to a, a a really authentic and uh, beautiful private setting. That yeah, I can see that. That sounds super cool. Yeah. But there's a, there's a variety of different um, wild and crazy, interesting interviews. You know, I I got to go to a strip club in the middle of the day, and I can say that in the handful of strip clubs I'd ever been to, I'd never been to one in the middle of the day, which was um, pretty depressing and weird. But <laughs> it was super cool to meet the erotic photographer slash artist um, Ellen Stagg who is a regular there, and she has such reverence for the women, the different diverse uh, bodies and diverse women that work there. And she even met her boyfriend at the strip club itself. So there's a really fun story to that and a real, and a real opportunity for me to be also in a, another environment that I wouldn't, well, I definitely have not gone to many times, but, uh-huh. but also... I wouldn't have immediately thought, okay, I'm going to go to a strip club and be able to find a regular, let alone a regular who's a woman, let alone a regular who's a woman who who sort of operates in this world and happened to meet her boyfriend there. So that was oh, a wow. surprising and fun interview. Yeah, um, that, it must have been so cool. I, I love this type of project, and it's something that I can't really see myself doing, which maybe is why I'm very like taken with it. Just that the the ability to go and talk to so many different people in so many different walks of life and uh, with this common theme of uh, regular establishments. I love, it's great. It's funny you should say that because, you know, as you know, you're, you're a journalist and uh, as a journalist, writer, person, myself, 
there's a lot of things that I can't see myself doing, but something that I could see myself doing and I did think that you know, I have a knack for or I enjoy doing is meeting different people and simply sitting down and having a conversation with them. To, to me, that's easier than um, long-form research reported, hardcore news stories or you know, political stories, all stuff that I'm definitely interested in that I read about. But this was a project that I felt I could do this because I enjoy having a good conversation. I like connecting with people and I like I like the scenario which is one that's rapidly fading and disappearing from our culture of simply sitting at a table having a beer looking a person directly in the eyes and just talking for 45 minutes we weren't looking at our phones we weren't tapping away on our laptops or, or you know, checking out, or, or if we couldn't figure something out, Googling it. We just oh, yeah. had a conversation, a human interaction, where I could ask them questions and laugh at their stories and joke around with them and find some poignant moments and, and really connect. That's something that I enjoy doing and something that you know, if this book is successful, I would love to be able to parlay that into something I could, you know, live off of and, and keep doing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You talk about that a bit in your, uh, well, more than a bit in your essay. I think it's called I Hate the Future. Is that right? That is the title of the essay. <laughs> I Hate the Future. Uh, I, I love Hate the Future. Like there were so many things that I was like, yes, but also like, but wait a minute. I like looking up things I don't know. But I had that same conversation recently. I can't remember with whom, but uh, that whole idea of like, what happened to just not knowing something? Yeah, I'm very insistent about that, even with my friends. When we don't know something and people start reaching for their phones or want to Google it, I, I've said for years, I always say, use your brain. Think, see if we can remember. And if we can't, who cares? It doesn't matter. You yeah. know, it's not so crucial and it takes us all out of, out of the moment. But let me be clear. I'm also a cranky, salty, grouchy person. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and as much, and, th- and that's, that was actually one of the larger challenges for me with this project. And, and it's actually just a, a problem that I have or a challenge that I have in my daily life. I really love connecting with people. I really love understanding people, but I also really can't stand people. <laughs> it's, I can it relate prob- so much. It probably has a lot to do with living in Brooklyn for 13 years and 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 working in Manhattan for a large part of that. Uh, all the humanity is really intense, and uh, it's very difficult and challenging to navigate all the personalities, all the people, all the personal space that's always uh, so precious and yet so uh, in- invaded upon by others. You know, and even before I moved here, I was sort of a cranky person. But, uh, you know, it's definitely amplified in my time being here. That said, the irony is there's nothing I like more than a great conversation, than really connecting. Uh, this is super weird. I, I was thinking about this the other day. I never told anybody this, but hey, here's an exclusive for your podcast. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> this, it. It's really inconsequential. But I was I was thinking like, you know, I played sports as a kid and I ran around the playground and I, I played in bands and music as I grew up. But I can remember one day on recess in elementary school, um, just shooting the shit on the jungle gym with like four other 
guys instead of us playing. And they were all like athletic jock guys. And we would usually just play, you know, baseball or football or something during recess. But we just shot the shit. I don't know if I can swear, but I did twice. Sorry. Yeah, you um, can, you can. On the jungle gym. And we, we told like the dirty jokes we knew. You know, we were in fourth grade and we told some, you know, crazy, hilarious fourth grade dirty jokes. But that always stuck with me. I really enjoyed that moment so much. I really enjoyed connecting and talking shit and having a good time through conversation. And, you know, that's one of the earlier moments in my life that I remember having that sort of experience. And I think I kind of replicate that with this project, Meet the Regulars, just hanging out, talking, getting to know a person, laughing, um, hoping that something fun or funny or wild or crazy or interesting pops up in the conversation. And I, I think it happened in all of these interviews. Yeah. Uh, I, I have, I share that sort of, uh, distaste for humanity <laughs> and also appreciation for it that, uh, I, I'm curious about your coping mechanisms. <laughs> like often I get real fussy on the, on the subway or just walking around the city when people are being oblivious to the people around them and I get really pissed off, um, probably more than I should. And then I always, like lately I've been asking myself, so this happens here in New York City. Do you want to leave? Right. No. Yeah. And so it's like, all right, so I hate this, but I'm not, I don't want to leave. So, well, yeah, I, I hear you. You know, New York and Brooklyn, these environments really amplify anxiety. They really amplify um, how annoyed one can feel and how quickly that can happen, you know, zero to 10. I have friends that I knew, you know, I'm originally from the Detroit area in Michigan and I have friends who I go all the way back with and a lot of them comment on how I've changed and how New York has changed me. So I'm definitely aware of it. But like I said, I was already a pretty, pretty salty guy who was also, also, you know, a real sentimental guy. This is just a, a, an oxy. I'm a walking contradiction as Green Day would say. I don't know why I just quoted Green Day, but it happened. It was Another necessary. Exclusive. Another exclusive for your podcast. Josh <laughs> quotes Billy Joe Armstrong. Um, but <laughs> as far as coping mechanisms go, um, you know, for one, <laughs> I don't go to Manhattan much anymore at all. I can't deal with it. I, when, I, when I do go there, uh, luckily I don't have to work there. Or I haven't had to work there for the last three years. I've been working from Brooklyn. I've been actually working from home as a writer. But, you know, I'm like a tourist now. I used to laugh in my head or make fun of the, the tourists when I would see them and be like, oh, they can't handle it. Or they don't know where to go. They're so freaked out just by being here. I'm like that now. I'm real edgy. I'm real freaked out when I'm on the subway. I'm real freaked out walking around Manhattan. It's, it's too much. Um, Brooklyn is more my speed, but I would also have to say, you know, I've been very fortunate to live in this apartment in Greenpoint, Brooklyn for 13 years uh, because my, my landlord has kept the, the rent the same way. We'll keep that our secret. And hmm. all your listeners can keep that a secret. And everybody who reads my book can keep that a secret. I guess it's not a secret anymore. But that's allowed me to stay in this great neighborhood, but it's also exploded around me. And there's so many more people and so many more great, you know, restaurants and bars that I, I check out for sure. But at the same time, uh, it's like blowing up my spot. It's, 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 it's a lot to deal with. And so, yeah, yeah how do I cope with it? 
Uh, I only go out selectively. I only go out. I, my wife and I, we, we like to do our sunset bird special rather than early bird special. We go to the restaurants at like 6 p.m. or 6.30 before anyone gets there. We're super lame, but I love the off hours. I think New York is all about the off hours and knowing the right time to hit the right spot. Yes. I will never wait in a line. I will never go to Whole Foods or Trader Joe's. My wife will sacrifice and, and do that for the both of us. But I, I can't hang. I'm too anxious, and I, I can't handle that. So I, I'm all about the off hours. That's interesting. I was about to come to defense of Brooklyn's Whole Foods, but then I realized, like, oh, I only go there on off hours. There you go. So that's why it. I haven't had, like, a nightmare there. Right. It's, yeah. you know, this, this place, this it, Brooklyn... Manhattan, these are places for, for the young in particular. You know, a lot of people move here or, or really go for it here when they're young. They've got the energy and they're willing to put up with a lot of shit. And, uh, yeah, as I've gotten older, I've also thought, man, I don't know how long I can sustain this. At the same time, does that mean I want to exit to the suburbs and, and lose all this culture and lose all this vitality and lose the opportunity to do something like uh, an entire book of photos and interviews with all these amazing characters. That's a huge trade off. I'm, I'm not sure I'm ready to do that either. Yeah. I would hate that. <laughs> like when I see old people like puttering around New York city, I'm real into them. Like, unless they're in my way. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm real into them too, but I'm also horrified because you see somebody, you know, an old person using a walker trying to get up the subway stairs and our infrastructure has been crumbling and, and, and just turning to shit for so long. And it's like, man, I don't know if I can be in this game when I'm that age. Cause I, I can barely make it up these stairs with the rush of people staring at their phones and charging at me right now. Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I love I, it. Yeah. Negativity. No, but it's, it's, it's a real thing, right? It's, it, it's, uh... the city's brutal, man. It's a tough city. You know, there's this, to bring it back to the book for a second, you know, Jad Abumrad of Radiolab, he really gets it. He really knows how insane this city is and, and what everybody has to, ha, has to put up with. And, and he's, and he's killing it. Right. But he, he's got this quote where he says, I, I'm going to, I'm going to read from this for a second, but he says, okay. In a city like th this is during our interview, he says, in a city like this, you need your patterns. Clearly, our brains are wired to be pattern recognizing organs. It's such an insane fucking city. Getting to work on the subway and having to collide with so much humanity, literally being pressed on both shoulders. You need to create those patterns. You need to recognize the faces on the bus every day in order for that insanity to feel manageable. That's how a genius answers this question that you're <laughs> tackling, and he he puts it he puts it in a in a genius manner. Yeah, I I can see that a lot because a lot of the things that get under my skin are like cyclists, like coming from all directions all around me. When I'm like, no, you go this way, and like I'm ready for that. And I'm ready for like people to, for the most part, be on the right when you're on the sidewalk and that kind of thing. Uh, these are my my crazy. <laughs> But it's it's about like wanting like people to respect this sort of like, I mean it's a pattern that we have as a society, but I I take it very seriously. Well, that's yeah no well as most New Yorkers do you know and and most New Yorkers wish that there was a lane for tourists and a lane for people who live here so that uh, we can keep things moving because there's just so many damn people and and we we don't have time 
or the energy to be to have all these obstructions to uh, our 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 beelines to get to the place where we want to go to. Yeah. Mm, but it's so hard that well, what that reminds me, you know, and, and, you know, listen to us complaining about how hard it is to live in what people call the greatest city in the world. But to that point, it is, it is a struggle because there are so many people here at once all trying to do a, either trying to make it or just trying to live. And that's another thing from the book that came up time and again, people, you know, I've said this before, I say it in the book and, and, you know, the, the, the situation is the majority of people who live in Brooklyn and New York have small places, unless you've got a lot of money or you've got a good deal on a, on a place, which is very rare and hard to find. You live in a small place. And that's why so many people are regulars at so many different spots, because these places, these bars, these restaurants, these shops, these clubs, they become an extension of your tiny apartment. Everyone, so many people referred to the place that they were at as, well, this is my living room, or this is my second home. The other thing they would say is, this is my oasis. So it becomes this escape, this refuge, where you can seek solace from the insanity and, and electricity of the city. That said, there's also these places where you can tap into that very particular electricity that's your vibe, the charge that you like and you want in your place on your terms. And that's what you have to do in New York. You have to find these spaces for refuge, and you have to find these spaces that are going to give you the kind of things that you need right now. Yeah. So what, what are those places for you? Where are you a regular? I'm glad you asked that. I, <laughs> I write about it in the book. The last chapter of the book, and again, there's, there's a handful of essays, but the majority of the, these are, are interviews, really easy and breezy interviews where you get to really hear the voices of the regulars talk, their direct quotes. The last essay that I write is called Where Everybody Knows Your Name. And I note that nearly every single regular that I talk to use that term, that, that, that phrase from the Cheers theme song, Where Everybody Knows Your Name. Um, well, where, where everybody knows my name and where I hang out is a bar called Bar Matchless in Williamsburg, Greenpoint. It's right around the corner from where I live. And in particular, I go there every Monday night for a free comedy show called Broken Comedy. I've been going there for three or four years now with my then-girlfriend, then-fiancé, now-wife, soon-to-be mother of our first kid in just a few weeks. Oh, wow. Holy shit. Uh, (laughs) Congratulations. (laughs) Thanks, thanks. But this is the place where I go every Monday night, and I see free comedy... And I see the hosts of the show, Mike Denny and Nimesh Patel. I see the producer, Becky Aspen. I see the um, bartender, Leah, and the bouncer, Chris. And these are my people that I get to check in with once a week. And, you know, we're not super tight. We don't hang out outside of this. We're not, you know, people that have known each other forever. But we check in with each other and see each other and, and give a dap or give a hug um, every Monday night and I see free comedy and I've gotten to know a bunch of comics that come through there as well. But that has become sort of my treehouse club joint where I know I can be comfortable. I know I can see people that I know and like, and, and I say this in the essay as well. It's, it's, it's a little melancholy too, because as you grow up, as you get older, 
you grow apart from your friends. You know, your friends are your whole world for so long, you know, from your school days, your college days, your early days hanging out in whatever city, trying to make it, playing in bands or working at record stores like I did or trying to be a journalist and writing, going to parties and stuff. But eventually people pair up and they get married and they move on and their careers progress and they go to other places and everyone gets real busy and they start having kids like I'm about to. And you don't get to see those people, those very particular people. Uh, and it's hard to schedule time to see them. And that's lame, too, because it went from just uh, just calling a friend up or sending a text to hang out to, oh, well, let me check my calendar. I think I'm open next month at this time if you can meet me here for 20 minutes. At Broken Comedy, I can go there every Monday night and see this handful of people that I know and and connect with them even in this minor manner and it feels right and it feels good to still have that sort of companionship and connection. I mean, see, I'm, I'm a sentimental dude, yet I'm also a cranky dude. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, that's cool. I love, the, this whole project is great. I'm a, Thumbs up. I'm a fan. Thank you. I'm glad you're a fan, and and uh, I'm glad we're doing this. I want to spread the word. I want people to know about this, and uh, for people to enjoy this and and to get it as well. You yeah. know. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll do what I can to help. Uh, where's the best place for us to find you online? So that's a great question. The best place to find me online would probably be Instagram. Uh, uh-huh. You can find me at meet underscore the underscore regulars you can also find me on twitter at meet the regulars no underscores meet the regulars is also on facebook one word meet the regulars those are the three best places to find me online um i'm not the best with social media as i complain in my essay i hate the future uh Uh however i i i have uh I have a young lady that helps me out a little bit because she studies it in as an undergrad in college. And I said, here, do my thing. You can be my quote unquote intern. And she's been awesome to me. And oh, that's great. My wife doesn't get as annoyed with social media as I do. So she helps me out as well. But you'll see me posting stuff daily and you'll, you'll see me talking and talking up. Oftentimes I also talk up broken comedy and talk about the, the comics that I had seen on a, you know, on a Tuesday, I'll write who were the best people that I saw on a Monday night. Like, for instance, just last Monday, Hassan Minaj of The Daily Show came through to test out material that he was about to do at the RTCA dinner, um, you know, the radio and television correspondence dinner, which has oh, shit. radio and TV people in Congress. And that was just amazing. You're sitting at a free show. Suddenly, this TV personality comes in. He says, hey, I need you guys to pretend that you're Congress or people that work in radio or TV because I'm testing out this this." Thing that I'm about to deliver. So what you also see on my social media is me name checking people that I had seen the night before uh, at Broken Comedy on a Monday night and the place where I am a regular. Big ups to Broken Comedy. Uh, I'm going to make myself a note to be sure to uh, put that in the blog post for this podcast. Broken Comedy at Bar Matchless, yeah? Yes. Amazing. Uh, great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate you taking the time to do this. 
Thank you. Did we hit all your questions? Is there anything else? I sound uh, a talker. I think I'm a talker. Yeah, we covered everything. I, I had one more question, but I know it's covered in the book. What Should is we, it? Just for it's the- uh, well, uh, it's not, maybe it's not necessarily covered in the book. I know you had to leave out one interview, uh, one person, and I was going to ask if there was... See, now I'm telling you the background of the question. The question doesn't make <laughs> sense anymore. Uh, anything you had to leave out of the book that you... like? What was the hardest thing to leave out of the book, if well, there was anything? There, there were several interviews that are left out of the book. Um, you can go to Bedford and Bowery, and you can type in the regulars in, in their search, uh, search bar so that you can get to um, all of the posts that I did for the regulars. Like I said, this started as an online series on that blog, Bedford and Bowery, which is not my blog. It's a New York Magazine partner. Um, however, I didn't include every single interview that I did for the blog in this book. And furthermore, there's tons that are in the book that never appeared on the blog. So um, you can see even more online. Um, there, were, there weren't any that I regret not being able to include because I was, I was pretty strategic about which ones to include. And also I had to do them on a timeline and... There's only particular ones that can go on the blog because those ones have to affect the neighborhoods that um, Bedford and Bowery covers. However, um, there's a whole bunch more on the blog that are worth checking out, and hopefully there will be even more if the book does well. Perhaps I'll do a Meet the Regulars of L.A. or Meet the Regulars of Chicago or of Detroit. I would love to do a Meet the Regulars of Detroit. I hope people would be interested in that. Oh, yeah, that would be cool. Because Detroit's, like, becoming a thing. Or is it already a thing? It's, you know, it's, it's, I would say from a New York perspective, it's becoming a thing. From a Detroit perspective, it's, oh, my gosh, this is starting to be a thing. Um, Detroit's an amazing city. It's where I come from and uh, a city that I'm really glad to see finally turning around after decades of so much, um, so much disrepair. Yeah. I didn't answer your question. Yeah, I forgot <laughs> the question. What question? No, no, yeah, it was. It was uh, did we, you... What did I leave out, or were there any ones that I was, I was sad to leave out? But um, again, I was, I was very strategic about which ones I kept in. And I wanted, I wanted the order to be right as well. I, I wanted this to be like a mixtape. I wanted this to nice. play like, like, this interview comes before this one and goes after this one because it has a nice flow because it makes sense and it shows the diversity of of the neighborhood or of the borough. And so I was very particular about that and I would hope that one interview flows nicely into the other. But it's not a book that you need to sit down and read um, cover to cover. It's it's That's the other thing. It's a small hardcover book that's small enough to pop in your bag it's only 20 bucks so it's not like some 60 dollar 80 dollar coffee table book yet at the same time it's big enough and nice enough to leave on your coffee table to just jump in and out of whenever you feel like or in your bathroom (laughs) i like the way you said that in a permission giving kind of way or (laughs) you have my permission to sit on the toilet and flip through meet the regulars in fact I want you to sit on your toilet and flip through this book. Uh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I'm going to do that now. Just 
just because. Just make sure back. Got, yeah. Just make sure you got a roll of toilet paper because then things go awry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I haven't even mentioned, or we haven't mentioned, where the book is available. Yeah, so the book is a real deal, totally legit book on an actual publisher named Skyhorse Publishing with real distribution through a, a legit, wonderful distributor called Perseus. So what that means is you can order the book online via Amazon or Barnes & Noble, for example, or IndieBound. It is on display and available at Barnes & Noble throughout New York. Um, I would encourage you to go to your local indie bookstore and see if they have it. They should have it, and if they don't, demand that they have it because you want to support local bookstores and you want to see rad books like Meet the Regulars in your indie bookstore. Perfect. That's a perfect answer for that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much for taking your time to be on the show. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. It was a good time.
From the album Baragon, that was Dripping by Blonde Redhead. You can read about Blonde Redhead and the place they like to frequent in the book, Meet the Regulars by Joshua D. Fisher. <laughs> Thanks, Joshua, for being on the show today. Uh, everyone listening, please do stop by MikeyPod.com. If you like a song you hear, if you want to check out this book, it's a great place to go. I'll have links to where you can purchase these things, support these great artists who are creating work for us to consume and help them create more work by paying for the work they just made. Thanks for listening. I'll see you on the 27th at the Crane Theater. Do make a point of being there. I'll see you next week. Actually, this is Monday, and the next podcast comes out on Friday. I will have a um, really interesting interview I'm going to be conducting later this afternoon in person. I'm going back to in-person interviews. I got a great new recorder. We're going to see how this goes. It's going to be Micah Busey, who is a uh, minister, community. Well, he's not the community minister now. He's the associate minister at Judson Memorial Church, a place that I love here in New York City. We're going to be talking about some cool stuff. I, I don't know what we're going to talk about. Well, I know. I have a general idea. Uh, it's sort of a spiritual response to what happened in Orlando. Uh, yeah, I find that all so interesting in the whole, yeah. <laughs> all I can say about it now is, yeah, it's going to be good. Uh, so look forward to seeing you at the show. Send me an email, mikeypod at gmail.com. You can stop by iTunes or the uh, Google Play or Stitcher, leave a review for the podcast if you like it. I guess even if you don't, that'd be great to have that up there too. <laughs> and um, you can find me on social media, all the places, at Michael Heron. And um, yeah, I think that's everything. Uh, really, I'll see you the 27th. Do say hello. Talk to you later. <laughs>